So I'd like to welcome everybody to our monthly meeting through the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. And it's really great to have such a large audience from throughout the country here this evening. And uh, my name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and we're going to be publishing this on Airs LA. So if you have other friends who weren't able to attend tonight's meeting, they could simply go to www.airsla.org, and they could click the vision link. And there, there's going to be a table, and you'll see that one of the links there is uh, CCLVI. And that's where we're going to be posting a lot of these different types of podcasts. Okay? So tonight we're going to be talking about social interaction and vision impairment. And this is something that's a very, very important topic that we often don't talk a lot about. But I noticed that through the years in working with so many children, teenagers, and adults who are visually impaired, that they often felt that they really didn't fit in socially. And there's many, many reasons that I've seen for so many of these patients, as well as my own personal experience, as to why many times people who are visually impaired may have difficulty socially. I think the first thing that we have to think about to improve our social interaction as people with low vision is to actually disclose our vision impairment. In other words, I think it's very important that we tell others about it. There's many times that we see people who have recently been diagnosed with a vision problem and their vision isn't really, really that poor, but it definitely has affected their daily lives. I know that for many times we see a person who is visually impaired and they suddenly become isolated. I had a young teenager patient once and he had a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. He was not able to see well at night And one of the things that happened in high school, he was very, very depressed. And his mother had called me and said that he is so depressed and he's just very unhappy and if I could talk to him. And as we started to talk, I knew his diagnosis was RP and people with RP have difficulties with seeing at night. Well, in high school, it was such that all of his friends, they were always asking him, hey, let's go out Friday night, let's go out Saturday night. And a group of them would always go to the movies and different places. But in his case, he was so scared to go to the movies because he was concerned that he would not be able to see walking inside a dark movie theater. So he always made up these excuses as to why he cannot go. And as he continued to tell his friends, no, I can't go, and he made excuses after excuses, it was soon to a point that his friends started to sort of feel that, what's wrong with him? Are you stuck up? Do you feel too good? And this is something that I've seen with many older adults, too. Friends might ask them to go play bridge or go to a play or go out, and these folks often would say, no, I don't want to go, because of the fact that They were afraid that maybe they couldn't see well enough, or they were afraid that if they went to dinner, they might knock over a cup, or even worse, a lot of them didn't want to give up their driver's license, but they didn't feel comfortable driving, so they would stay at home. So many times, it's very, very important to reveal and to disclose that you do have this type of vision problem so that people don't get the wrong idea about why you might be behaving the way it is that you're behaving. So in this case of this young high school boy, I told him, I said, you know what? You just have to let everybody else know that you have this vision problem. It'll really take a huge weight off of your shoulders. 
and he said, you know, I really would like to go because there's this girl, and I really like her, and she always goes. And I said, well, why don't you tell her then? Why don't you tell her the reason that you haven't been going is because of your vision? Just tell her that. I just don't see that well at night. So he goes to her, and she says, hey, are you going to go with us Friday? And he said, well, you know, i got to tell you something, and it's kind of a secret. And she said, you mean that you can't see very good? Hey, we all know that you can't see very well. So they were all laughing at that. And she said to him, you know, all this time you thought you were fooling us, but we could tell when you had a hard time or you couldn't. And by this way, if you can't see so good, now you'll be lucky enough that you could hold my hand in the movie theater. So he was so happy and things like that. And as a matter of fact, they started dating. So I think it's very, very important to disclose the fact that you don't, see well or you do have this vision problem. Another common thing that happens socially is that many times when we're visually impaired people might wave to us. They might be across the room and they might wave to us and we don't know who it is that they are. When we don't see well and people are waving to us, a lot of times we don't acknowledge. A lot of times we're embarrassed that we might look like a fool if we wave to somebody and they really weren't waving to us. And as a result, many, many times people get very offended. That's one particular type of behavior that people often think that the person who is visually impaired or blind is really stuck up. And this is because many people, again, they don't know that you don't see well or that you didn't recognize them. I know that I had this type of situation as I started to lose my vision. I was at a conference and inside the audience was actually one of my old professors and he had waved over there to me and as I was lecturing, I didn't recognize, I didn't see, I saw a hand moving but I didn't know who it was. And then he came up and he said, you know, you're thinking you're pretty big for your britches now that you're lecturing, aren't you? And I said, no, no, no. And I told him, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, I actually have a vision problem now. And he felt kind of bad about coming up to say that. But I also felt partially responsible because I didn't acknowledge that. So I think it's very, very helpful to disclose that you do have this vision problem. I think the second step to help with social interaction is that you need to then go ahead and just participate. Many, many times people with vision problems, they just don't participate. Others might ask them, would you like to go to Vegas? Do you want to go to the ball game? Do you want to go fishing? Whatever it is, and many times they don't want to go because they're sort of out of that safety zone. When I lost my vision, I actually became isolated for six months. I didn't leave my house. I didn't want people to see me. Uh, this was my area that I felt safe. But later I realized that I was missing out on life. I was missing out on all these social events. And my nephew had invited me to a Laker game. And I said, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to go. Even though I can't see the game, I'm going to take a radio and I'm going to go ahead and get some popcorn and some hot dogs and I'll just have a good time. And you know what? It was truly one of the greatest times. The excitement of just being inside Staples Center was something that was so different than watching it on TV. And I then realized that I was missing out on so many things socially just because of the fact that I was concerned about how others thought about me. So I think that the second clue is that you really need to dive in and to participate in so many of these other types of activities. The third thing that's very, very helpful is that we want to then go ahead and educate people. 
we really need to educate the people who are around us because most people they do not know another person who's visually impaired and many times because other people they do not know they're just simply ignorant they often do things that might aggravate us I remember one time I went to there's a a chain of coffee shops down here in Los Angeles called Coco's and I went there with my wife we were just having breakfast there and the waitress came up to her and said oh can I get you some coffee and she said that to my wife and she said sure and how would you take it she said oh I have cream and sugar and then she said how about him does he want something to drink and I was so offended I said what you think that I can't talk just cuz I can't see that I can't talk and order for myself and it was something that I was laughing as I was saying it but I realized that if I had actually said that in a serious voice she probably would have been very angry with me and who knows what she would have done to my food but i think that i realize from so many of these encounters it really is a situation that people are ignorant they just simply do not know so i often try to educate people and I often try to tell them about certain things that we often go through for example i will often tell them oh do you mind uh using a white cup when you're pouring my coffee that'll make it a little bit easier for me to see it and they'll say oh yeah that makes sense and i say and how about a dark cup for my milk and the waitress says gosh you know i never thought of that and a lot of times you know they will ask me questions such as would you like for me to tell you where your food is on the plate and i said sure that would be great so i think this kind of education to the people that we interact with at the stores the restaurants or at work and also with our family that's going to be very very important I know that as my vision started to deteriorate, I then started to use sighted guide and I started to then to use a cane. And what I learned was that when I was using sighted guide, many times my wife would sort of yank me. And through my lessons that I had, I knew that was a no-no, but I sort of felt, you know what? She's been so kind to guide me. I'm so grateful to have her to guide me around that I I didn't feel it was right to tell her don't pull me. don't pull me but when she pulled me it really made it difficult to walk but i soon learned that it was better for me to educate her and just in a kind way to say oh would it be okay if you didn't pull me and if you just told me with your words that there's a fire hydrant coming up and we have to move to the right or to the left and it really made things a lot easier so i think that that education and to communicate others that's something that's very very important another type of thing that's also going to be very helpful is to consider using a cane and i know for many people who are partially sighted they hate to use a cane or it's often a symbol that might represent that you're blind but in many ways i have found that to be something that has really helped me socially i was on vacation one time and actually i didn't have a cane i was too proud to take a cane and i was walking down a ramp but guess what it wasn't a ramp it was a set of stairs and i went i went rolling down the stairs and it was something where my gosh my daughter was in front of me and i knocked her down and she started rolling down the set of stairs and i just felt terrible about it and there were these folks that were behind us a bunch of young kids and they were just laughing it must have looked so funny i must have looked like a bowling ball rolling down the stairs and knocking over my daughter 
and I was really upset that they were laughing, simply because I wasn't certain if my daughter was hurt or not. And this was something that it made me so angry that I shouted at these guys, and it was something where it, I was really fortunate that they didn't confront me because there was about four of these, you know, 20-year-old guys, and there was just one of me and my two little kids and my wife. But I think that the fact that if I had had a cane and there was a cane available, these people would have then realized, well, this guy just wasn't a klutz who's falling down and tripping. This is a guy who's visually impaired. The first time I actually accepted the use of the cane was shortly after that. And I used the cane at an airport. And when I opened that cane, it made everything so much easier. I found that people were just so, so helpful. They got out of my way. They offered help to carry my luggage. Uh, one lady even bought me a cup of Starbucks as I was waiting for my airfare, air flight. And so I realized that many times when we use a cane or if we have something that helps us to be identified as a vision problem, people often don't think that we're just sort of a strange person or that we're just some uncoordinated person or that there's something wrong. By using a cane, it lets people know that this might be the reason why you're walking slower. And by doing this, I think it really opens things up socially because I find that people are much, much kinder when they know that you do have a vision problem. The next step in terms of with social interaction, I think that people with vision impairment really have to also be courteous to others as well. I remember the first convention that I went to. It was a convention through the National Federation for the Blind. And I thought to myself, my goodness, there are so many angry people here. I mean, people were just hollering and people were yelling at other blind people, telling them to get out of their way because they all thought that they had rite of passage through the hallways. And when the lecturer was speaking, many people were just simply shouting out, question, question. And they just didn't have that type of courtesy to wait till the speaker was finished. And as I've talked to many other people, a lot of other people said, you know what? Why is it that blind people are so rude? And why are they so loud? And I said, well, many times there's a lot of reason that they're angry. I think it's because they're frustrated with it. And because many times people don't acknowledge them, they don't make that type of non-verbal contact. So this is a type of thing that many times they were just going to shout out and they don't take their turns. But I think that for all of us as people with vision impairment, I think it also is helpful that we could be also considerate of others. In other words, when we go to restaurants, for example, and we're trying to get the attention of a waitress, Many times it's very difficult for us to try and make eye contact with a waitress to call her over. So sometimes we have to be a little bit more patient as compared to just simply yelling out loud, Waitress! Waitress! You know? So these are things I think are also helpful. But the last thing I really want to talk about are some of the things that we talk about which are nonverbal communication. What we do know is that much of communication among human beings is actually nonverbal. In other words, we communicate by looking at somebody. We communicate by making a facial expression. Many times we communicate with body language. 
And when we have diseases such as macular degeneration or glaucoma or RP or diabetic retinopathy or optic nerve damage, one of the first things that we lose is the ability to see contrast. And when our contrast vision is reduced, this affects our ability to see facial recognition. We can't read body language. And for some people who are even totally blind, such as myself, we often can't really make eye contact at all. So I remember when I was in practice, there were quite a few patients that came to me with a specific problem. They were concerned about the fact that at work, they didn't feel that they had received proper attention from their co-workers, and they thought the problem was, was because they couldn't make eye contact. So we did different types of exercises, first of all, to help people to learn to make eye contact. Some of the things that we see is that many people who are partially sighted stop making eye contact because they can't see it clearly. Many times you might notice or find yourself doing this, that you might be at a dinner table with some friends having a nice dinner, and you are simply just staring straight ahead, or you're just having your eyes looking towards a table, or very, very often, what I noticed when I had vision and I was an eye doctor, I noticed that so many people who were partially sighted, they just had their head down all the time. Their head was pointing down towards the floor or the table. And this particular type of body language often creates the impression that you're really unhappy or that type of kinesthetic feeling is very, very negative when your head is down. So, we have to remember as people who are partially sighted to continue to force ourselves to continue to make eye contact. There are certain types of reflexes that we do have. What we all could do is we could all stick your hands out. If you stick your hands out and keep your eyes closed and you put up just one finger and move that finger wherever you want to and then picture with your eyes where that finger is you can actually then open your eyes and your eyes will be pointing towards that finger. And the reason for that is because the eye is hardwired with the visual center of the brain that connects the eyes and the hands together. Now what unfortunately happens is that when people become totally blind or when people stop using their vision in the same way, this type of hard wiring becomes worse. So. In other words, it's very important that you continue to practice these types of things so that you could continue to develop that type of eye-hand coordination. So one of the ways that you could develop your eye contact with people is first of all to practice making this type of eye-sound contact. So the first exercise that I teach my patients is I tell them, keep your eyes closed and extend your hand straight out from you. You could put one finger up in the air and visualize where do you think that that finger is. If you move your hand way to the right, you could visualize about where it is. Then snap your fingers. When you snap your fingers, that's going to give your brain more input as to where to look. And then open your eyes. And what you'll notice is that your eyes are probably going to be looking right at your fingers go into a different direction, maybe towards your left side. Snap a few times. Let your eyes look to that direction, open it, and you'll then soon notice that you're going to be very, very precise at looking towards where the sound is. So this is something that you want to do in different types of fields of gaze. Now, the next time when you're then having breakfast or lunch with somebody, 
It's good to go to different types of coffee shops or places where you could sit across the table. And you want to be at a smaller table so you're not too far. And when you hear that person talking to you, you want to go ahead and concentrate on directing your eyes towards that voice. You're going to be able to do that. But it's also very important that you just don't stare. You know, you don't want to have your eyes wide open and just staring because that's just a very unnatural type of thing. So what we often will tell people as we train them to do is to look at their eyes or where you hear the sound coming from for three seconds and then just nonchalantly look away. You could look at your plate, you could look at your hand, you could look at your cup of coffee and then look back at their face. And you could go back and forth and you can practice this. And this is a way that you can make that type of eye contact that it'll appear that you're making perfectly fine eye contact. Another way that you could do this is that you could also do this at home. You could do this while you're watching the news at night. Okay, If you're over about four feet from the television, you could go ahead and turn your body such that you're going to be facing the television. And you want to go ahead and then look at the face. The face is going to be about the same size as a real face. Then go ahead and look to the left and then look back at the face. This is a way you could practice making that type of eye contact. And one woman in particular, she had significant depression because of her social life. She was about 28 years old, a very, very attractive young woman. And she felt that her inability to make eye contact was a reason that she didn't have the confidence to meet people and to go on dates. And she felt that she was very, very angry at people because they didn't understand her situation. So she came and she wanted to learn how to make eye contact, and we did that. And this was something that really just changed her confidence, her demeanor. She was able to find a job. She started to date. She had many, many boyfriends and things like that. So this was something that really, really helped her, and she was one person who really emphasized to me the importance of making that type of eye contact. So overall, I think that when we're in social situations, we really want to try to continue to remind ourselves that we have to do things to make ourselves more accessible in a social manner. I think, number one, we have to not hide our vision impairment. I think that's the hardest thing for us on a stressful basis, or also it makes it difficult with those friendships and relationships we have. If we continue to reject them every time our friends ask us out, that's often going to make the relationship worse. Number two, we got to remind ourselves to go ahead and to participate. We only have one life to live, and we should go out there and enjoy doing these types of things. Since I have become totally blind, I have seen more movies than all the other years of my life when I had vision. I've seen so many different types of plays and other things that are visual, and I've even been to art shows. And, you know, it's just so interesting that even though I don't see it, when my wife or my friends describe it to me, it's actually so great, it's so beautiful, and it's so enjoyable. The third thing is that when we do meet friends or we do meet strangers, let's educate them. Let's educate them about what it's like to be partially sighted. Let's tell them what they can do to make things better or easier. And let's tell them what are the things that make it harder for us to do. By communicating with that, they're going to be less intimidated. I know that when I was diagnosed with my eye condition and I told people that I was retiring from practice from that, 
So many people told me, they said, you know, Dr. Bill, I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't want to see you because I didn't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with a blind person. Am I supposed to guide you? Am I supposed to grab your hand? Am I supposed to pull you by your necktie? I don't know what to do. And it's equally difficult on their part because they don't know what to do. So we need to go ahead and to educate these people as well. And I think the other thing is we also have to also be courteous and understand and be forgiving. I think that early on in my own experiences, I would become angry with people when they would say something or do something that I thought was inappropriate, not understanding my blindness, but what I realize is that most people don't know people who are blind or visually impaired. I know that all of my life, until I became an eye doctor, I never knew a single person who was totally blind, and I never knew a single person who was visually impaired. You know, I just didn't know. And this is how others are. So I think we have to be a little bit courteous and conscientious of that. And the last thing is that socially, I think it's very important that we practice making eye contact. We have to continue to try to move our eyes towards the face of that person. We have to try to go ahead and remain intact with our eyes and hands together so that we don't lose that skill. What we find is that for many people who have lost this ability, it is something that becomes hardwired where they have a very hard time regaining that skill. So all of these things together, I think, can make it much easier for us in a social basis. So let's go ahead and let's open up to any questions or comments that any of you might have. Yes, I think that's really, really a great comment, too. You know, if we go ahead and if we move our nose and our eyes towards where we hear that sound, it's going to really put us in a position where we can appear as though we're making good eye contact and people are going to really, really respond to us more effectively. I know that when I was sighted, when I had perfect vision, I was sort of a, a multitasker. So many times some of my doctors would come into my office and I was typing a report and I would listen to them. They'd say, Dr. Takesha, can I ask you a question? And I would say, yeah, go ahead. And here it is. I'm typing away and I'm looking at my computer screen and I was listening. I, you know, I truly was able to do both things at the same time. But then they said, you know what? You really think you're hot stuff, huh? You, you're too busy to even turn around and listen to me. And I said, I am listening to you. And so eye contact really shows that type of courtesy that you are paying your undivided attention. And it's a really important social thing. But thank you for that suggestion. Turning your nose towards the sound is a great way of making eye contact. Yes, question. Yes, please, go ahead. Jill is commenting here. Yes, Jill is commenting about the fact that many times she could turn her head and her eyes to look at a person, but for many people with low vision, one eye is misaligned. This is called strabismus. And when one eye is a little bit crossed or one eye is turning outward to the person that you're speaking to, sometimes they're not certain which eye are you using. So they might think that you're looking at somebody behind them and you might notice that they start to turn their head in and, and look behind them. Um, there's a few things about this. One thing is that many times we will actually prescribe glasses for patients because this could improve the cosmetic appearance of where their eyes are so it doesn't appear that way. In some cases, some people will go to the extent of even having eye muscle surgery. It's a very simple type of a procedure to straighten their eye. 
And we see the same thing. Some people will have nystagmus where their eyes shake from side to side and they're uncomfortable with looking. So a lot of times we will prescribe glasses that just have a slight tint so it sort of hides a little bit of that appearance of the eyes shaking. But yes, uh, the eye alignment is also something that does affect how people will look. And we find that people who have 20-20 eyesight with a misaligned eye, that is a comment that they really say. You know, they are so concerned because socially the alignment of their eyes is not acceptable. So they want that treated. Yes, yes, it can be. Yes, and Joe also mentions that sometimes it could be that the a size of a pupil looks different. And we have done that before also. We have used eye drops in one eye to equalize the size of the pupil. And for another patient of mine, she had a very, very oval-shaped pupil like a cat. And, and this was something where I simply fit her with a contact lens that gave her a round pupil. And she said it just gave her so much more confidence. So thank you for those comments. <laughs> Exactly. What Glenda has a great, great point here is that for many people, there's a blind spot in the central vision. So when they look straight ahead at a person, they don't even see the person's face. They just see a blurry blodge. So if they look to the right or to the left or above or below, when they look off to the side, which is called eccentric viewing, then they could see that person's face. So in these situations, it's something that a lot of people who develop this ability to know how to move their eyes when they're first meeting people for the first time or an interview they will actually point their eyes straight ahead so they'll put the blind spot on that person's face and when they then look away so that it appears as though they're not looking at them that is when they could actually see so as they're moving their eyes from side to side the person you're speaking to doesn't really know when you're looking at them when you're not looking at them, it's when you actually are looking at them and vice versa. So that's a really a very, very good skill. If you're at that point that you're able to do that, that is very, very good. And with time, I think it's good just to tell people, you know, my vision is so interesting that when I look at you like this, your head disappears. But when I don't look at you like that, I can now see you. And then people think, my gosh, that's fascinating. And then they really do understand. And this is something that we really make a very, very big point of this to tell the teachers. When we have children in our children's program, uh, we definitely make a point to tell the teachers this because many times the teachers think that these kids are being disrespectful because they don't look at them. And I have to write in my report, Johnny will often look to your right in order to see you. And this should be not be confused as not being respectful. Okay, I had one gentleman, and, and I'm not kidding on this, I had to write a, a letter on his behalf because he had a blind spot in his central vision, and the way that he could see a person's face is that he would have to look below. In other words, he would have to look at a person's chest in order to see their face. Well, you could see what kind of problems this got him into. And I said, my gosh... So I had, to, I had to write him a letter so that he wouldn't get fired for harassment. <laughs> yes. Are there any other comments or other experiences that some... Hi. Oh, yeah. 
Yes, those are two really good comments there. The first is that many times when a person is using a walker and you're walking with a walker and you don't see why、well, you might bump into somebody and people think, "What's the matter with you? Why are you bumping into me?" And I saw this once at the bank where this man got really angry at a woman who was waiting in line. And what I would recommend then is that if you are close to、uh, various types of agencies, such as the Lighthouse or、uh, you know any other kind of low vision agency, many times they are going to have these different types of bags, their canvas bags, and we often will give them away at different types of seminars, like the Cal State Northridge、uh, conference. But the Braille Institute or the New York Lighthouse or San Francisco Lighthouse, a lot of times they have these tote bags. And you can have these tote bags because they usually say "Lighthouse for the Blind" or something for the blind, and you could attach that to the front of your walker, and you could use that to throw stuff inside there. So let's say that you're grocery shopping or something, you could put things in there. You could throw your purse in there. So when people see you, the first thing they're going to see is this canvas tote bag that talks about the blind or the low vision, and then people will then understand. Another type of thing that Another thing that I've also have done for some patients is that I have often prescribed for them a pair of glasses, which is called the cocoon glasses, and they're a very comfortable wrap-around glass. And what we what they do is they have the side shields that'll often tell people that there's something wrong with your vision. So sometimes we might use that with a clear lens, or we might do it with a yellow lens. And if you wear those, it also helps people to know that you're visually impaired. Now, when it comes to the point where a lot of other friends are hesitant to invite you because they're afraid, oh my gosh, we're going to have to take care of Wilma all night. You know, if we go to the dance with her, I'm going to have to sit with her all night. I think that's where we talk about the education. You need to educate people to say, you know what? Hey, you could invite them. Why don't we all go? And and don't worry about me. I'm able to you know do my own thing. I could sit here. I can eat. I'll have a great time. And you guys go on and do the same thing. And what I even did for my friends, because my friends were a little bit awkward to go places with me, I hired a, a cab. I said, hey guys, you guys want to go and and to the casino and and play a little bit of poker at Hollywood Park? And they said. Uh, they were kind of hesitating. I said, "Hey, I'll come and I said I'll come and pick you up." And they laughed and they laughed. I go, "No, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a cab, you know." So I actually、uh, rented a、uh, town car, and it was like sixty dollars. It was cheaper than the cab, but you know we did that, and it, it and it was great. So it was a good way to break the ice and the barrier. So again, I would say educate. <laughs> Yes, you know, I think that is great. And、uh, when I lecture, a lot of times I'll ask people, you know, I'll make a joke. Okay, if you have questions, don't raise your hands, or we'll be waiting here a long time. Go ahead and clap or something, and it's really good. And、uh, another, so I think it's a good thing that you do those types of speaking engagements. And the thing, if you're a little bit worried or uncomfortable to do these types of speaking engagements, the reality is nobody knows more about low vision than you. Okay, the people who are low vision are the only ones who know low vision. I thought I knew so much about low vision. I was the chief of low vision at the Center for the Partially Sighted, and I thought I knew everything about it. Until I became visually impaired, I really did not know. So, when you're speaking like that, just remember, nobody out there knows more than you about it, and this is your own experience. And they're they're just so grateful to learn about it. 
I think the other thing to do at any of these types of speaking engagements you might do for a service club is to tell them the ways that they could protect their eyes from getting it. Number one, they got to stop smoking. Smokers are 40 times more likely to get macular degeneration. Number two, everybody over 40 should have their eyes checked every year because we can get glaucoma. We can develop diabetes. And when it comes down to these types of things, if they go to their eye doctors every year, it could be detected and picked up. And then I think the third thing you could talk to them a little bit about is, you know, some of the things we talked about, checking your eyesight every day, wearing sunglasses, and doing the right thing nutritionally. So congratulations for doing those speeches, you know. Let me know if you're speaking around here. Well, I think it's just a great thing that you're doing those speaking engagements because I guarantee you there's somebody there who is visually impaired in the audience and they just aren't telling people. That's fantastic, and I think that's that's really good advice. You know, to to make fun of of your situation, I think that's something that's always is, is helpful. And if you do need people to help you to cross the street or whatever that it is, I think those are you know very very good lines to say. And overall, people they do want to help. I mean, I heard so many things. I had people tell me. Dr. Bill, never go to New York. It's the rudest place ever. And people were very, very helpful. They were very, very helpful. You know, it's just wonderful. So that's a great idea to keep keep a good sense of humor. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that, that's, that's really... And that's, again, the education part. I mean, I have, I have people in my own family who will say, oh, can you can you find my talking watch? Where is it? And they'll say, oh, yeah, it's over there. I mean, <laughs> and this is this is five years, and say, over where, over where? You know, so I think if, if you laugh about it and say, over where, over where, then, then they sort of get the, the message there. Let's see, who was that? Tom in New York? Tom in New York, I think, had a question. Yeah, those are some gr- great, great, great ideas. Thank you. Is somebody washing dishes back there? <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what? I What I think is that it's very, very difficult to be in noisy areas. I think it's very difficult to be in noisy areas when you have hearing impairment. And I think it's also very difficult to be in noisy areas when you're just visually impaired. I have noticed, I have noticed for myself that I really have a hard time in loud areas. Uh, For example, when I had vision, I didn't realize how much of the time I was reading a person's lips when they were speaking to me. And when I lost my vision, then it was to the point where I thought, I literally thought I was losing my hearing because I couldn't hear them. I couldn't understand what they were saying. And my hearing check became, you know, was normal. But it was really that we use our vision to help to communicate. So in certain types of social events and things like that, again, when we talk about the educate, I will educate my friends and say, hey, how about if we go to this restaurant? This is a restaurant. Usually restaurants that are have, you know, uh, a carpeting and higher ceilings and things could often be a lot easier, whereas restaurants that have tile floors are really just some of the worst. Uh, so... Down here in Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley, there's certain restaurants that are are better for conversation. 
and when uh, we're in different meetings, some of our meetings and things that we do have, there's certain restaurants that will have a isolated room so that we could put 30 people in a room that's all by ourselves and it works out very well. So for to the best extent that you can on the social events, if if you can be part of those committees and find the place, but uh, sometimes you just can't help it. I remember once there was a conference at the Los Angeles Bonaventure and there was a bunch of blind people there and the Bonaventure's a circular hotel with waterfalls and people are just walking in circles it was just the worst thing ever and it's just very difficult but let's see we had two more questions we're getting close to uh 6:30 and uh Tom from Wyoming well i think that when a person has a, a prosthetic eye these prosthetic eyes look so natural that many people will never know that you have an artificial eye in fact the artificial eyes now they even will move with your other eyes so if you look to the right both eyes look to the right both eyes look to the left where I remembered that when I was a kid when I used to watch Sammy Davis Jr. sing that guy would scare me because I said how come his eyes look so different all the time sometimes he's looking up and that's because the old glass eyes didn't move but in your in Tom in your case Tom in your case it's very very possible that a contact lens a cosmetic contact lens shell could be placed on top of your eye and it'll look very very nice so you could talk to me about that later uh, uh, just like with a lot of the movies and things Michael Jackson and Thriller uh, all those are contact lenses so if your eye is being irritated a contact lens could just be put on top of your eye and maybe that's a way that your eye doesn't have to be removed because Nobody likes the thought of their eye being removed. Our Pirates of the Caribbean. But uh, you could talk to me about that. Talk to me about that later then. Okay, one last question. Question from anybody else out there? Yes. And Janelle's comment here is Janelle is basically stating, you know, people say to her all the time, you don't look blind. And a lot of people, they'll see me with my cane and they tell me, oh, you're faking it. You're faking it. And that's that. And that's the interesting thing about vision impairment. Most vision impairment, let's say that you have glaucoma, it's your optic nerve that has been damaged. That's in the back of your eye. The retina, that's in the back of the eye. Most eye conditions that cause blindness do affect the inside or the back of the eye. Only things such as a trauma like Tom's will affect the front of the eye. So it is very, very common for people to say, Hey, now you don't look blind. And what I have learned to do with that, I again try to make a joke of it and use humor. And so I start to do my Stevie Wonder head shake, you know. And I start to move my head like Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles. I said, do I look blind now? And then they just laugh. And then they'll, they'll do things, you know. Sometimes people will put their hand right in front of my eyes to see if I blink or flinch, and I don't. And then they understand. So, again, it's, it's again, Janelle, it's just educating people because people don't know. And most people who are visually impaired or blind, they stay at home. They're isolated. They don't leave. You know, there's so many people who are visually impaired, but they don't leave. Yeah, that's good. So for all of you who are, you know, are a lot of times what I think that a lot of the message tonight comes about is that many of the people who are, have called in tonight are stating that the cane is really something that has really helped them. 
and the cane identifies that we do have a visual difference. Now, you can even purchase or use what we call an identification cane. Let's say that you really don't have problems with walking, but sometimes by just using an identification cane, it folds up very small, and when you unfold it, people will then know you have a vision impairment. Or the other option is, many times you could have a pair of glasses that has these types of side shields. Maybe we'll use a high contrast yellow. But it is something that is not you know, very common that people use it, and so people may then know that you have a vision type of a problem. Or, again, you could just let people know, you know, I'm sorry I got a vision problem. Uh, do you mind helping me with a menu? Okay, uh, anything like that. And I think if you have that right attitude, people will become educated, and others who are visually impaired will benefit in the future. So we're going to go ahead and we'll put this on Airs LA. And so again, go to www.airsla.org and go to the vision link. And you could click CCLVI and uh, you'll, you'll find this podcast to share with others. Okay? So thanks again for all your input, everybody, and have a good evening.